Can you be an intelligent Christian? Now, I certainly would say that, yes, you can be, and really you should be an intelligent Christian. But if we ask the question, what is a Christian? What distinguishes a Christian and a believer and and distinguishes Christianity from all the other different philosophies and and themes and religions that are out there in the world, we're going to have to wrestle with some things. They're going to push against, they're going to fight against our own reason and intellect. So as we continue today to walk through the words of the Apostles' Creed and we arrive at this phrase that tells us that Jesus suffered, that he died, that he was buried, there are some truths that are going to hit us hard, that we have to wrestle with. And as we continue to recognize that the Creed serves as our pledge of allegiance to the God of the Bible, and it is a rebellion and a rejection of some of the narratives that our world pushes at us, Today we're going to reject and rebel against intellectualism. Again, not that God calls you to be a dumb or ignorant or naive Christian, but that there are some things that will push against our reason. And so we're going to reject the notion that everything needs to make sense us. We're going to reject the idea that we can figure everything out on our own. And it's going to be incredibly important as we look at the truth that Jesus professes. Before Pontius Pilate, Jesus said that everyone who is on the side of truth listens to him. And as you align yourself with the truth of Christ's kingdom, You have to reject intellectualism because the truth of Jesus' cross is an assault on our reason and our intellect. And in response to Jesus' claim, Pilate retorted, what is truth? And do you get the sense that that is a question that still haunts people today? What is truth? And today we're going to talk about the truth of Jesus' suffering, death, and burial. First of all, it is historic truth. Jesus really did suffer under Pontius Pilate. Jesus really died on the cross. He didn't swoon. He didn't fake it. He died. Joseph and Nicodemus They placed Jesus' body and enclosed it in that stone tomb because he was dead. The Romans, they had dialed in how to put somebody to death. They knew what they were doing. And so the historical reality and truth is that there was a Jew named Jesus who lived nearly 2,000 years ago who did die on a tree And he was placed in a tomb. Historically, intellectually, that is the truth. But what does it mean? What does it matter to you that this Jew named Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago? What impact, what effect does it have on 
your life. And that's where the creed steps in. Because the creed really confesses and professes the truth that really underlies that historical truth. That this is not just historical truth, but in fact it altered human history from that moment forward. That the death of Jesus is a worldwide phenomenon that took place on the hill of Golgotha, which was aptly situated for the public spectacle of death. And so what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to look at the cross. Not this cross that's up here above me right now that has nothing on it. It's plain. It's bare. That's a beautiful picture that we get to talk about in the next couple of weeks. But I don't want you to picture that cross. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture that cross, that splintered, worn, wooden cross on which hangs Jesus. And I want you to to see Jesus there with his arms stretched out after he's been mocked, after he's been ridiculed, after he's been beaten, after he's been whipped, after he's been nailed to that tree. And the blood is dried on his cracked skin. And the flesh of his cheeks has been ripped out by fingernails. And all of the bruising because of the beating makes his face nearly unrecognizable. And it's okay if that sight brings some tears to your eyes or forms a pit in your stomach. In fact, if it doesn't, then maybe you need to pinch yourself right now and see if you're still alive because it's an awful sight. It is horrendous. It is grotesque. It is disgusting. This was not a humane death. The the Romans, they had dialed in the most agonizing, most torturous way to capital punishment. And there hangs Jesus. Now why do we celebrate it? Doesn't that go against reason? Doesn't that go against our intellect that, that that's something that we would celebrate? Why do we decorate our homes with it? Why do we tattoo it permanently on our bodies? Why, why do we have it hanging in gold as a pendant off of our necks or on our wrists? Hey, come check it out. I just got my new 24 karat gold electric chair pendant. Oh, you have one of those like Pandora charm bracelets? That's really cool. What are all the different charms? What's that one? Oh, that one? That one's my lethal injection charm. Why do we do it with the cross? Isn't the cross disgusting and ugly and horrifying? Yes, it is. And yet when you look at this disgusting, horrendous, horrifying cross, it's also beautiful. Because when you look at that cross, you see what Jesus was willing to do for you. 
Jesus willingly suffered all of this pain, all of this agony for you. Jesus died for you. What you see there at the cross, you see the Son of God dying for his creatures. Those creatures who have rebelled, have rejected him, have fled far from him, and yet you see that he is there for you. He's there to redeem you, to buy you back, to to restore you to what God had always intended for your life. That is the beautiful, earth-shattering truth in these words, suffered, died, and buried. Those are the words that today we want to wrestle with. We want to seek to comprehend them fully. We want to dearly cherish them and we want to joyfully celebrate them because when you look at the cross, you see a beautiful sight. You know a beautiful truth. And to really understand that beautiful truth that you see, we really have to understand some other truths that underlie it. Three that I'm going to talk about, three that specifically have to do with good. And what is good? First of all, no one is good. I'm a good person. Have you ever said that? Raise your hands. I know you've all said it, because <laughs> I've said it, right? I'm a good person. And now it's easy to say that when we compare ourselves to others, what we see on the nightly news, but how do we stand on our own? So if you're going to say, I'm a good person, or I'm going to say, I'm a good person, well, then we need to answer some questions, and we need to answer them honestly and truthfully. You ready for this? Here we go. Do you ever lie? Sometimes. Do you ever cheat? Sometimes. Do you ever lust after somebody who isn't your spouse? Sometimes. Are you greedy? Sometimes. Are you jealous? Sometimes. So we're lying, cheating, lusting, greedy, jealous people. But no, no, I'm, I'm a good person. So let's just keep going. Are you ever envious of what other people have and own? Do you hate? And what about terrorists? What about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or your ex or the neighbor who aggravates you with the things that he does to his yard? Do you ever lash out? Do you ever scream because of the rage that is built up inside of you? Do you ever drink too much? So now we're lying, cheating, lusting, greedy, profane, jealous, envious, hating, raging drunks. But we're good people. I mean, it sounds ludicrous when you make that claim against the backdrop of truths, but we make it all the time. 
But the Bible has always been clear. It has told us that human beings, we have fallen from the wonderful state in which God has created us. No one is good. God alone is good. Jesus alone was good. And Jesus demonstrated his goodness as he lived his life according to God's will. He demonstrated his goodness as he boldly confessed the truth. And he spoke the truth that God's law is good. And that's something else that's going to assault our reason and our intellect. That God's law is good. This is where we really have to rebel and push against the intellectualism of our world. Don't buy into this thought that every thou shalt not, thou shalt that's in the Bible is some old, antiquated, get over it, you're stuck in the past, get with the times, be progressive, stop being a bigot, hater, madness. It just isn't true. In the individualistic psyche of the American culture wants to say that every single limit, every single boundary is immoral and unethical because it limits you. But sometimes limits and boundaries are good. God's law is good. The boundary that he has set is good because by his law, he wants to bring you into alignment with the life that is the best for you. It's the most satisfying, it's the most joyful, the most beneficial life that you can live. And when you transgress those boundaries that God has laid, when you cross over that line, it does enrage him. Now, sometimes we we talk about God's love and His grace, and I think sometimes it makes us just kind of feel like God isn't bothered by our rebellion and our disobedience. But if you think that God isn't bothered, that it doesn't enrage Him, then bring back that picture that you had before of the cross. Because there you see how God feels about disobedience and rebellion. Remember the, the, the blood and the pain and the suffering and the agony. Remember how God abandoned his own son. Because then you know how God truly feels about our rebellion and disobedience. And so in these words of the creed, when we confess that Jesus suffered, died, and was buried, we confess and we proclaim the holy wrath and the divine justice of God. But at the same time that we confess those things, we also confess with these very same words, we confess the immeasurable mercy and the overwhelming grace of our God. Though they show you how God feels about sin, they also show you how God feels 
about you. And so if you want to know how God feels about you, lying, cheating, lusting, greedy, jealous, envious, hating, drunk that you are, look at the cross. Look into Jesus' eyes on that cross. And you can just imagine what he's thinking and what he would say to you. I'm here for you. I suffer for you. I die for you. I have forgiven you completely, fully. When we ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to stand on the side of truth as Jesus said? It's not about being the right kind of person. It's not about being a good person. It's about listening to Jesus and what he says to you. It's about believing those words when Jesus says, I am here on this cross suffering and dying for you. I have forgiven you. Not about being the right type of person. All of you gathered in this room here today, all of you joining us online, if you're listening to this message, there are all kinds of different people, different types of people here. Some of you graduated college, congratulations. Some of you did postgraduate work. Some of you maybe barely made it out of the eighth grade. Some of you tend to vote Republican. Some of you tend to vote Democrat. Some of you grew up in church. You've known Jesus your whole entire life. You can't remember a time when you didn't know who Jesus was. Some of you, you came to know Jesus after your 40th birthday. Some of you, maybe you're still trying to figure out who Jesus really is. Some of you have never had to battle an addiction to drugs or alcohol. Some of you have. Some of you are still battling it. For some of you, the addiction is to something else. But it doesn't matter. Because to each and every single one of you, Jesus says, I love you. I have forgiven you. Fully and completely. Being a Christian is to listen and to believe Jesus when he says that. Those remarkable truths, and, and no matter how much they might assault your intellect and your reason, that might want to deny them. When Jesus went to the cross, died on that cross, his blood was spilled for everyone. There's no asterisk that we need to put next to the base of the cross. God's grace includes you. No matter who you've been, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, what you've done, God's grace includes you. Jesus went to the cross perfect and blameless. There was no charge that Pontius Pilate could find to lay against him. There was no charge that God found to lay against him except the one that he laid upon him for your sake, to redeem you. Jesus suffered, died, and was buried so that you are forgiven, redeemed, restored, blood-bought, a child of God. 
And as those truths maybe push against our reason and our intellect a little bit, we're going to talk about our framework that we've been talking about throughout this series. Think about those words symmetry and clarity, community, counsel, and witness. We've really just gone through the clarity that the creed brings as it reminds us exactly what was accomplished through Jesus' death on the cross. The symmetry is there because we recognize both God's justice His divine, holy wrath, but also His immeasurable mercy, His overwhelming grace. The symmetry is also there as we recognize that Jesus was there for all people, that no one is excluded from His kingdom, that there is no sin that has more power than the grace of Jesus, than the cross of Christ. And that cross of Christ then is going to forge a community His kingdom that, as Jesus said, is not of this world. This community that it forms as it brings us through faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us, it's going to form us into this community that is counter-cultural. And so our witness to the world, our counsel to one another, it will always be counter-cultural. In the New Testament, there are over 50 phrases, one another phrases, these imperatives, these directions that God gives to us for how we are to treat one another, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. With faith and trust, fueled and motivated by the cross of Christ, we live our lives to carry out those one another imperatives, those directions for how we live. And that will form and prepare us for our witness to the world. Today, as we install several teachers here at Divine Savior Academy, this beautiful truth of Jesus' death is of paramount importance. Teachers, you you have been called to educate, to inspire, to, to raise up the children that we've been blessed with at Divine Savior Academy. Academy. And you're going to instruct and educate them in all kinds of different subjects and all kinds of different disciplines with all kinds of truths. And yet this truth will stand above all the rest. The truth of Jesus' suffering, death, and burial. As you carry out that work, this truth of God's grace, it will compel you to sacrifice as you serve your students. To highlight their Savior's love as often as possible. To infuse every day and every act with the grace of God. Because it's such a huge truth. So much greater than historical. And it will cause you to see those children, not just as children to be instructed, students to be taught, but redeemed, blood-bought children of God to love as you instruct. When we confess that Jesus suffered, died, and was buried, we confess a beautiful truth. The beautiful truth that, yes, recognizes our sin and our rebellion, but recognizes God's overwhelming grace. Let's joyfully stand on the side of this truth. The truth that Jesus suffered, died, and was buried. 
Amen.